Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew P. We're here. Is this the first one of 2019? I have no it idea. It is. Yeah. The, we're recording now. Yeah, Becca's here as well. I think today's the fourth, I think. Yeah, today, January 4th. 2019, yeah. we are here. Hopefully back on a normal schedule. No more. Yes. No, no more holiday. What's the next holiday that's up? Uh, I don't St. know. St. Patrick's Day, Valentine's I, Day, Valentine's Day. Yeah, there you yeah. go. That worked. Next holiday, 2019, USA. Actually, the, the next real holiday is the kickoff of the Super Bowl, which will start new home selling season officially. Ooh, it's my favorite holiday. Coming up. That's true. But uh, let's, um, let's hop into story time. Cut right to it. We tend to be having Boom. excessively long episodes lately, which <laughs> no one's complaining <laughs> about. But sorry, <laughs> let's just we'll try to stay. <laughs> we'll try to stay in time. Uh, and I'll I'll get started with uh, story time just because this is really interesting to me. We had someone reach out to us that an organization that let's just say they have billions in their back pocket. They're not a home builder, um, but they are connected to a lot of home builders, and they have billions in their in their war chest. And they wanted to talk. And so, of course, we, we said we would be happy to talk to them. And the thing that drove them to want to ask to speak with us was they were amazed by stories that they had heard of home builders that we worked with who were able to geofence certain locations and show ads. Hmm. Sounds amazing. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> or just and the I, every day, right? That's yeah. I did not do a good job in cell mode at all because I was kind of like, well, that's okay. We can talk about that. But it's pretty do. much built in to every major system nowadays. And yeah. there's really nothing mm -hmm. magical about it. And, but yeah, I mean, we can, we can show you how to do that or talk to you more about that. Yeah. But they're kind of like very razored into this idea of geofencing, which has been a term that I remember, I think two years ago at the Builder Show, there was a gentleman who went to every single session. And at some point he would raise his hand to ask a question. And his question was always, what is your perspective on geofencing? And of course, no surprise, he was a salesperson who was trying to sell geofenced oh, yeah. ads. But he literally, he spent like 10 minutes in every session that I was at just long enough to get his hand up and say the buzzword. But I just thought I'd take my story time to say, reiterate right now that you should not be paying a premium on top of normal advertising expenses to do geofencing of any kind with anyone. And if you are... Yeah. I can guarantee you, I don't know what you get if I'm wrong, but I'm very, very, very <laughs> confident that there is nothing worth paying an extra premium for that ability to geofence. It's it's a fancy sounding term, but in actuality, very simple to do. Yeah, it's you're almost uh, not you're almost you are forced to pick a geofence. Yeah. To create a campaign. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. Either the United States, like that option, like you, you have to pick <laughs> the option somewhere, you know. United States is a default, I think, with both Facebook and Google. Mm -hmm. but yeah. Then, but you're forced to look at it just like you would look at the budget or the, the start date or any other targeting options. It's interesting, but it's really bizarre. Yeah. Hmm. So just a, a word of warning. And and again, it's the person that you're working with. If they are asking you to do a premium, I'm not trying to make people feel like they're getting ripped off. It, it may be that they don't understand enough that they have to work with a third party to help them get some geofencing in place. But it's it's baked into almost every major platform at this point. So, all right, Andrew, what do you got? Story I time. have a fun one. This is interactive. So if you're listening right now, obviously you are because you're listening. That's dumb. Um, okay. You could play along. So this is for Kevin and Becca. We're playing quiz time. So 
All right. I take the same way home from the office here every day. I go uh-huh. over the Tom Stewart Causeway. It's Madeira Beach and all the beaches run together. You cross this street, you're on this beach. If I live on North Reddington Beach, the beach south of that is Madeira Beach. I'm going over the bridge and it's it's like mirrors the way that the road works. But there's these, these two buildings on the left side of the road and right side of the road, identical old buildings. And at the end of them, there's two bars that are always kind of busy, like four o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday. You'll see people there. <laughs> But they're beach bars, so who knows if tourists or, or what what have you. So there's one called the Saltwater Hippie Bar, fun name. The other one called yep. the Madeira Beach Dive Bar, equally fun okay. name, right? So one, yeah. and we're looking at, so we're going to look at two things. Um, ad- locations identical, and they sell the same product. Facebook okay. followers, um, Facebook likes for the Dive Bar, 2,300. Facebook likes for the Hippie Bar, 769. Instagram followers, Saltwater Hippie Bar, 626. Madeira Beach Dive Bar, Instagram followers, 600. 166, right? Okay. So yeah. which one do you think sells more? Based sells more off of alcohol? That, sells more alcohol, which this would be kind of like what we see. Like, okay, here's some metrics. Uh-huh. Gauge, mm-hmm. Two different businesses. Yeah. Locations the same. They're selling the same product. Houses, if we're translating this to the, what we do, they look so right, the Becca. same. Which I'm one do you think, Becca? <laughs> with Saltwater Hippie Bar because um, Facebook is not as popular with the 20 somethings. And when I say okay. that, I mean like the 21, 22, 23s. Mm-hmm. I okay. would also go with the Saltwater Hippie Bar first because I just like that name better. I agree. They both are a fun name, but one is is more descriptive of the geography of it. So maybe that helps it in search mm-hmm. because it's got, I guess, Madeira yeah. Beach is the name of the beach area. So if you're looking yeah. for a bar there, maybe that's easier to find. But the real thing to me is that the number of Instagram followers, which is the more recent metric to be looking at, if you want to look at either one of those two, which maybe the point of your story is don't bother. But I just look at the Facebook to Instagram Delta is about mm, 50 to 60 people, whereas Madeira Beach, the Facebook like is much higher Mm -hmm. than the Instagram followers, which makes me feel like they have at some point in the past spent a lot more on social, but not necessarily the right way. They're they're manufacturing likes and followers, not necessarily Mm -hmm. as genuine as Saltwater Hippie Bar. That is good. Okay. Good. And I'm totally wrong, right? No, no, no. (laughs) So Saltwater Hippie is uh-huh. you drive by there any time of day, there will be 40, 50 people there. Mm. The dive bar, it's a dive bar and you'll see like 10 people there. Um, Interesting. Saltwater Hippie looks really nice. Very welcoming. They have an old Volkswagen, Volkswagen van out front. Oh, it looks cool. like a hippie van. You go uh-huh. in and it, so this, the whole vibe of the place is, is cool. It's hippie. It's a hippie bar, but yep. it's very like customer focused. So the experience is great. You look at the dive bar and you're like, wow, that really sucks. And like you said, like it's it's like they don't they don't invest anything in this place. So I don't know. I think it, it's my, what made me think of this was like, you could spend all you want online and metrics like this, like everything was more for the dive bar, mm-hmm. more followers on Instagram, mm-hmm. more followers on Facebook. But this one, because the customer experience, once you get there is tenfold better. Like there's still the one that's going to sell more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would yeah. be interesting, maybe check into this and then we can talk about it next week is I have a feeling that the ratings and reviews for Saltwater Hippie then are significantly better. I'll have to check that out. And yeah, Saltwater I, Hippie mm-hmm. is much newer, mm-hmm. that, which could be why um, it's always busier. But you just, if you didn't know the age of it, I kind of left some details out of here that would... No, that's good things. because I still but, go back to if I was a tourist and I'm staying to? near Madeira Beach, I feel like that's more likely the one I'm going to just come across yeah. on its own. Mm-hmm. So report back. Do, do some back, checking yeah. on organic search and ratings and reviews because I have a feeling that's going to be kind of 
kind of a, a big push as to why saltwater hippies getting more because you know dive bar yeah that's still kind of a trendy thing to want to go to a divey place yeah like a and the volkswagen place mm-hmm. bus would it be at home in either establishment i think it would fit in either one yep. interesting. Yeah, be oh, like be interesting interesting. yeah interesting i like it that's fun we game time yeah game time yeah we need game time every week i know maybe more challenging <laughs> challenging question which ad worked better uh, oh Something like that. We'll find out. Yeah. All right. Becca, your turn. Well, while I was home for Christmas, my aunties decided to chat me, to me about Instagram and Facebook. And several, oh of my, <laughs> several of my aunties have decided to abandon Facebook and move over to Instagram. Interesting. Yes. How, I should how say they're old about, are they? They're about 65, 60 to 65. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. Now, it, did well, they, were they not on Instagram before and they no. truly just made a switch or they were on both and they're just cutting Facebook off? I think they're keeping Facebook, but they're not using it and they're opening Instagrams. And a couple of them gave me the reason that they didn't like all the press that Facebook was getting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So. No, you think about that demographic. <laughs> that's the same. That's the same demographic that you can get to vote for anything. If you just tell tell them that Congress is trying to steal their Medicaid mm-hmm. money or whatever, <laughs> like the, the fear and the headlines. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, it I, works on them. I think what's inter- interesting follow up for you on this one to me is, are they posting content on Instagram or are they simply stalking there versus stalking on Facebook? I can find out. I know that um, one of my aunties was pretty active on posting on Facebook. Mm-hmm. She was blowing up her story and everything, doing boomies. Be awesome. Yeah, and definitely not stories, her. but maybe just posts. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like most of the folks over 65 that I interact with have a hard time knowing how to flip the camera around on a FaceTime or whatever you're trying to do. Or yeah. most of the time the camera is pointed at their stomach instead of their head when you're trying to talk to them. So I feel like they would struggle creating content to post on Instagram in comparison? Yeah, uh, some of my aunties are are not are much more tech savvy. Yeah, they would. And some of and them no are, sharing are like that. Of stuff. So I, I think um, the ones that are more tech like savvy it. are the ones that are doing Instagram. Interesting. Yeah. There you go. You that heard it here the... first. The the cougar selfies are moving to Instagram <laughs> instead of Facebook. Cougar <laughs> selfie. <laughs> Watch out everybody. <laughs> Watch out. Well, that's good for us because, yeah, that's good. That kind of yeah. leads us into a few of our stories later. Not stories, yeah. our news. We'll circle time. back around to that. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of news, let's shift over to the news. The first news story is that we have t shirts. Uh, we have a store for t shirts, actually, Ooh, on Amazon. Better. Yeah, I love it. So you've got one place now that you can go. You'll see it in the show notes. We posted in the Facebook group uh, over the holiday time. We've got four designs up already on the store, and some of them are even available in youth sizes. Uh, Happy Acres oh. uh, yeah. is, is I think, my favorite so far. Uh, of course, the name that we give a fake fictitious community whenever we need one for a story is, is Happy, Happy Acres. And so uh, Jackie did an awesome design there. Um, but some are available in youth sizes. There's women fits as well as, as uh, fit for, for men. Uh, I think small, extra small, all the way up to two or three X. And multiple colors on Ooh. each of these designs. So yeah. we've got Happy Acres, like I said. Mm-hmm. We've got a pre-sale without fail shirt. We've got the traditional market-proof marketing shirt that we've given out uh, over the past year, but now available in alternate color schemes. And the newest addition, which uh, this one was, was the idea was birthed by Andrew, uh, is oh, Metrics yeah. and Chill with the <laughs> Netflix style font. So uh, classy. I'm actually buying that one right now because I bought the first two <laughs> the other day. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm getting this one right now before I forget. <clears throat> so you're getting one because it wasn't available before. I am. I'm excited. Yeah. And so now I have, um, that's three new shirts. Awesome. And I, I can wear like most of marketing week. shirts every day. Yeah. That's every day. <laughs> great. Can I wear this, um, on stage at IBS? Do you think that's okay to just wear Metrofield? Probably not. Probably, Probably not. not. Mike and I might, Ooh. might pull you aside and have oh, a okay. chat. So the price for all these shirts, and they are what is considered a premium t-shirt, so they're not cheap little Hanes <laughs> or some other <laughs> fruit yeah. of the loom. But they, they should yeah. have a softer feel to them, oftentimes a heathered, multicolor look to them. Uh, they're all twenty two ninety five each, nice. and that gives a profit margin on the shirt in, in air quotes of somewhere between 3 and $6, depending on the size, color, and style that you pick. And so all of those funds are going to nonprofit organizations that help underprivileged children and, and folks who are without homes. So uh, none of that is going into any of our accounts here at Deconvert. So all for a good cause. So check that out. Let us know if you have other ideas of shirts you'd like. We have about eight designs in total that we're working through getting up on the on the store. And we will have online sales specific ones coming soon as well. So be on the lookout. Awesome. All right. The first real news story found by Becca. I love this one. Um, because we're we're seeing this well before too much lead in. This is from marketingland.com. Instagram cost per click, cost per impression drop as click throughs continue to climb. So the CPCs dropped about twenty percent, and oh. the click throughs were up about ten percent. And that was quarter over quarter from Q two to Q three. You think it'd be the opposite, like right? Because we're getting closer to Q4, people are spending more. Yeah. It's just increase mm -hmm. in price anyways, as there's more supply, especially click-through rates. If you're getting better, what you would think is attention, like, hey, my click-through rates are better than what they were previously. So maybe yeah. people are more open to ads on Instagram, like let's pour more money there. You think the cost would go up. That is really bizarre. Yeah. Right? Or, the, or the CPC is a kind of a trailing indicator because if what uh, Becca's story time was about is happening, which is more people are hopping on Instagram in total, then that gives more inventory, more availability to see more ads, which could lower yeah. your costs. And then similarly, get more click throughs because there's more people using the platform. We'll see the next time they report the numbers, if they break it out that way, if that is indeed happening. But that's interesting. This was... Uh quarter three. So maybe we'll see something a little different with quarter four. Got it. So the story was just yeah. published on the 26th of December, but it's, it's yeah. using Q3 data. Got it. Yeah. Sense makes yeah. sense. And some, this is some interesting data. So I'm, I'm trying to find something from earlier this year, um, but previously mm -hmm. Instagram leads. So if we're running a coming soon campaign, um, let's just make going to a landing page, go into a landing page, join here, da, 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 say that's around $5. Mm -hmm. it'll yep. be all just up. wanted to clarify that we're not talking about Facebook lead ads Correct. or Instagram lead ads. Yep. But so, yeah. Add to a landing page, fill out the form and give them say this is $5. So this is from this week, like I checked the stats, you know, an hour ago, $5, 17 cents on Facebook, 76 leads, mm -hmm. Instagram, 15 leads at $6. So not much more. I'm trying to find some yeah. real numbers to put back in here. But like a year ago, that was not the same picture, like Instagram leads, like the cost per lead. Yeah, it would be significantly would be much more where we're like, this is crazy. Why would we spend any money on Instagram? <laughs> Um, so that is pretty cool, which is good. That's more inventory. That's more people, more eyes, yep. yeah. more different they, people, even better. The mm -hmm. article mentioned the availability of different types of ads between video stories and then the news feeds for Instagram. Yeah, so. that's the other you, you hit the nail on the head, I think, is it's not just that probably more users going to Instagram. 
but there are a lot more product types to be able to advertise on, which yeah. again, just in total gives more inventory for them to sell, which then ends up being lower costs until it becomes more popular. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love it. That was a good one. And it's so good. Why leave marketing land? Why? Uh, the, the other, why? <laughs> the other marketing land, I feel like I'm sure they probably have their own podcast that I don't know about, but that, that would be another fun name. Like, welcome to marketing land. Yeah. Yes. Marketing land. Open the very small I, I feel door. like I would want to go to marketing land. Yeah, it sounds so happy. It's the place. It's like Candyland. Lego land. Lego yeah. land. Yeah. All the, yeah. Lego Actually, it sounds yeah. terrible because marketers ruin everything, right? Um, the headline is paid social requires sharpening your blade in 2019. It's not a super long article, but I really still want to just razor in on one specific part of it, which is a, uh, a subheading that says the shifting sands of attribution. And I'm actually going to read portions of this uh, for sake of being really boring. But basically, it says, as the paid social avenues have grown, diversified and stumbled, there's a growing awareness among advertisers about the perils of relying on last click attribution. When these tried and true methods fail, there is no safety net, meaning that... If you were spending all of your money on paid search and you're just looking at the last click, you know, it was a paid search that got them to come to my website and then they converted. As that becomes significantly more expensive or stops working, you're so focused on that one trick pony that you feel like is the cause of everything because that's the way you're looking at your attribution that you don't know where to turn to when it starts to decline or uh, become prohibitively expensive. So to continue on to the story... Advertisers are getting savvier about the customer journey. However, the last click infestation that was largely started by paid search being the main avenue of spend for many advertisers is waning. The growing realization that users exist and pass among multiple touch points daily, weekly, and monthly is forcing brands to focus on driving awareness of something that they can own, which is their own name. And if you follow Rand Fishkin, uh, founder of Moz on Twitter, he's been hammering this point home. We've looked at other articles of, if you want to win SEO... And in this case, win doesn't mean against other home builders, but win against Google or Amazon simply showing the result in the search and not having to go to your page to find it. You have to have people type in your own brand name to really own that brand. And so kind of like your story time, Andrew, we're starting yeah. to see this tipping point of, and we've said this hippie. for a while now. Yeah, we've yeah. said this for a while. You can't spend significant portions of your overall budget on just branding alone. However, you do need to be doing something beyond purely tactical to have more to who you are as a company, to have, have more of a story. Um, and so it could, it could be content-related branding that's helping you, which would still be kind of in our ecosystem we're talking about. But uh, the Parade of Homes, Steve Shoemaker, uh, <laughs> maybe uh, having different types of events, building a smart home, prototype home of the future, or a net zero home. Some of these other branding PR pieces still have to be part of the mix as we go forward. Yeah. Definitely. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Which is why yes. all this kind of, so the, the back to like going backwards, the coming soon ads, the only path way to that landing page is through an ad. So that's like the mm-hmm. simplest area to look at when you're testing new ideas to be like, okay, does this work? And then I think once yeah. you're confident with that, and then when you go away from using a landing page like that with the coming soon community, you've got to be confident, I think, with your setup, with the strategy you have and, and all the nerdy yep. stuff behind the scenes with your Facebook and just going, okay, I'm not at $5 per lead where I could see it day by day by day, but it's overall working because you know it works yeah. and that that closed vacuum of an environment. Yep. Yeah. And that we don't talk or have not talked as much about this, but that really is as we've adapted for, I don't know, we're on the fourth or fifth gen of how we approach Facebook and Instagram now. Yeah. 
the current one now allows visits to the website to be as cheap as 16 cents. I saw one somewhere between 16 and 45 cents for most people. And the quality of the traffic is remaining the same. And at those lower levels, we really can start to approach Facebook and Instagram as much, and and it always has been, but even more so as a brand building platform. So we're still getting the direct tactical result of a website visit, but also that relationship between exposure on social and then following back for, okay, I've seen that ad. I've seen information about that company. Now I'm going to go and type in a search term where then paid search or organic needs to fill the gap. There's definitely a symbiotic relationship there between all of those things that has always been there. But now even more so, partly because of maybe what we talked about in the first news story, maybe because of uh, better ways to, to do social, paid social generally, you can build a brand and get an awareness still using a somewhat tactical method. But I still think they're having said all that, there still is this reason to do bigger things once a year or you know ha- have a deeper story beyond just what's digital too. Sure. Yeah. Um, the, the kind of wrap here is, they said, accept the reality of it and adapt if possible. And then uh, <laughs> if Facebook ads are failing you, that sounds right, very, sad. Right, very fatalistic. It says, if Facebook ads are failing you, it's time to move that money and test elsewhere. Accept that successful tests may not be measured by quick hits like they once were and open your eyes to the longer term wins. Now, again, we're not seeing this yet. We're still seeing Facebook and Instagram actually intensifying mm-hmm. their impact because yeah. of those lower costs. But a lot of what you see on marketing land, again, is not home builder specific. It's influencer marketing folks or gum, scissors, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Chat bomb like I got here on my desk from Burt's Bees. They got to figure out how to market to. I have this yeah. white monster energy drink right here on my desk. Yeah. Right. Now, the last one here, we will send a link to it, but you're going to have to sign up and download this resource, uh, which means that you're going to be on their mailing list. Sorry about that. Or you can just listen uh, to, to the headline here. But uh, there's a company called Trust Insights. They have a they have a podcast uh, called Marketing Over Coffee, which is if you think we are not technical enough or you want to get even more geeky about marketing in general, marketing technology, it's a good kind of half hour show, mostly focused focused in on AI and tech. But be ready, like you're going to have to Google terms if you're if you're not doing this stuff all the time. But they they use predictive analytics to look at what has been popular search terms by marketers and people tasked with leading marketing efforts from 2018 and then looked at the trends coming through in 2019 and where they likely should be shifting. Hmm. So I sent this over to you guys. I trust you have it. I have it. Yes. Yep. It was a great read. It was really fun. I'm really excited for MySpace. <laughs> you sound really excited. <laughs> I, want I had to take notes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little heavy, so we'll try to break it down. But it is visual too, so that that helps. Yes, yep. yes. But far and away, in terms of popularity from 2018, it was all about social networks. Yeah, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, Discord. Which I don't know. I guess it's a social network. It's it's a chat voice chat software used by gamers. I think um, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Tumblr, and then Mailchimp, Mailchimp. which I think is funny. <laughs> which is insane. Uh, they make so much money that I don't even know. Yeah, that they're up there and more popular small- than Google Analytics. Yeah, or Snapchat. I think that's pretty funny. Snapchat is. I mean, that's just it's, it's gone. Uh, it's, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Snapchat terrifies me. Get get out of my phone. I'm delete it right yeah. now. <laughs> 
So marketers doing a lot of research on what is Facebook, how to use Facebook, what is YouTube, how to use it, Instagram and the like. Reddit is also, I mean, it's a huge drop off. So 25 million searches. I don't know what the, uh, I'm not even sure exactly what scale they're using, but 25 million. And then it drops down. Instagram is 4 million. Uh, Reddit is only one and a half million. And Reddit can be a great SEO play. I go back and listen to the um, episode with Jackie Lipinski from American Classic. We've got good content. Mm-hmm. Putting on Reddit can, can absolutely help you. Yep. Just needs to be authentic because they'll tear you up on Reddit. <laughs> That's right. Because they're all yeah, they will. millennials that grew up with the internet and they know like, okay, you're just trying to be sneaky and market here. But yep. Jackie's post was authentic and real. So. And so now they're using predictive analytics to say of these searches done last year in 2019, what is the likely shift? And um, YouTube and Facebook are projected to shift down about 10, 13%. The big winner on the social network side is what there? Was it, was it MySpace? Ooh. Wait. LinkedIn. LinkedIn, yeah. LinkedIn, LinkedIn, a 28.5% increase projected. And that can, for sure, LinkedIn is becoming uh, more and more useful to marketers. To, to my surprise, I mean, if you would have asked me that two years ago, I would have said no. Um, and there's actually, I think the second most popular piece of content on LinkedIn right now I saw is keep LinkedIn professional, you know, yeah. somehow battle back against status updates and video and all this other stuff and really Let's just keep it as business cards online, basically. <laughs> um, so there's definitely some pushback there, but it's definitely growing uh, in its reach and its, its ability to influence your customers. So something to, to check out there. The other thing I was encouraged by is Google Analytics, 20% increase. Uh, yeah. You better know about that and be in there regularly. The other surprising ones here, obviously, Lasso CRM is our favorite um, CRM system. But there are two CRM systems on here, Salesforce and HubSpot, both projected to increase by another 55% wow. next year. And this is all marketing. Like they, their data sets yeah. from all marketing, every everything marketing related. Exactly. So that seems fair. The one um, that I kind of liked the most was OK Google, because I've been seeing yeah. a lot of OK Google, show me new homes near uh-huh. me. And yep. so... I think it's really interesting to see that, okay, Google across the board is going to jump. Yeah, I don't see Alexa on there. No. No? Hmm. There you go. Alexa doesn't search, obviously. But I think that's just people trying to figure out how can I use this voice? You know, how how do I create a skill for Alexa in in order for Google to be able to do a a search term like that? But CRM is taking a huge jump across the board here. Uh, Zoho which is another smaller CRM, uh, 23% increase. So is this, as the market is shifting slightly, I'm not scared at all about 2019. If you know what's going on and how, how to get things done, you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, except for the extreme high end of the market. But I think definitely marketers understand and realize that the CRM is an integral part to their success. Um, so I thought that was that was incredibly interesting. There's a lot more to it. There's a, it's an eight-page report. Mm-hmm. But yes. the last part of it that I'll touch on real quickly is just, what they call the contenders. These are headlines and search terms that don't did not have a lot of volume last year, but have the largest percentage increase projected in growth. And top of the, I'll just read out the the top two. The top one is audience analysis, which is critical. Uh, just the uh, article that I wrote for Professional Builder for January of this month talks about the the critical nature of having your audience data properly defined and organized so that you can do analysis on it, but really figure out. Figuring out who my customer is is no longer a guessing game or a well. I think it's it's someone who looks like Sally, a thirty to forty five year old female who you know that that's no longer really necessary if you've got good AI and can do good audience analysis. Three hundred twenty eight percent projected increase in that, wow. which I was excited to see. Yeah, 
And the other one is uh, top of the list is what is digital transformation? 293% increase. Mm. But yeah, why do you say, oh gosh? (laughs) Well, a lot of these words are very like this corporate-y, IT, marketing. Like, I don't know. I used to have to bid on on these back in the day, like a while ago. (laughs) I'm like, these are so terrible. It's not terrible, but it's it's not not exciting stuff. It's all like infrastructure and and super nerdy, if that makes any sense. But I like number five. What is influencer marketing? Yeah, 230% increase. What is influencer marketing? Machine learning examples is a big one. Uh, Google Data Studio, 185% increase. That's good. That one is Um, interesting. Um, That one, if you look back at the the top terms, you have, um, mm -hmm. I will butcher the name, but I think it's Tableau or I think it's Tableau. 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 Which is essentially Google Data Studio, except it might be a better product. I don't know yet because I haven't. It's it's prettier. It's it. easier to quote unquote program in. It's like building blocks. It's more it's more intuitive and, and prettier. Uh, it's not but then free. You pay for it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that that the visual visualization of multiple data sources into one report has you know, that's the second predicted growth for 2019. Mm-hmm. Is that yep. one? And then you have Data yeah. Studio coming up. That's yeah. The need is definitely there. <laughs> And then Google Tag Manager login. So apparently (laughs) um, it's not people researching Google Tag Manager, but a big increase in people trying to log into their Google Tag Manager accounts is what they're predicting. That one's pretty fun. I'm going to try to log in. All right. right Go download it. Trust Insights is a great company. Um, They're just not home builder specific. But if you're, again, very technical minded and you got really excited by us saying some of those terms and words and you want to go hear them talk about that, they've got a a great podcast as well. Right. That'll do it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Dr. Tim Rethlake. I don't know that he actually has a doctorate, but he's that esteemed in my eyes. Tim is the vice president of sales enablement at Hearth and Home Technologies, the premier provider of fireplaces to home builders all across the country. I promise it's way more exciting than I'm making it sound. And we're back with this week's 360 topic, maximizing your home's value. It's not all about price and location. There's much more to the mix. And joining us this week is Dr. Timothy Rethlake. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Well, thank thank you for giving me a PhD in something. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, your your Twitter profile has you looking like the thinker. Uh, and you definitely are one of the most intelligent. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> this sounds like I'm still just teasing him, but I, I do mean it sincerely. One of the sharpest minds uh, that's not a home builder in the home building industry. So... Thank so you, I'm, the, I'm the tallest kid in the short class. Is that what you're telling me? You got it. Hey, <laughs> yeah. That's what did I say, guys? He 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 dissected that quickly. He's he's a sharp cookie. <laughs> yeah, sharp. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, and Tim, tell everyone who do you work for. This might surprise people. Why do we have this guy on the podcast? Uh, I work for uh, an organization called Hearth and Home Technologies, which most of your listeners probably go, who in the world is that? They probably recognize us better by our trade brands uh, of fireplaces. We are blessed to have the top three brands in the new construction channel, and that's Heatalator, Heat and Glow, and Majestic Fireplaces. Okay, so you work for a company that makes the best fireplaces in the world. We like to think so. Perfect. <laughs> and so you're you're interacting with home builders and, and well, let's tell everyone, what, what do you actually do at work? You have uh, Andrew found a great tweet. Yeah. Want to hear something tweet. funny? Ask your kids <laughs> to tell you what you actually do at work. <laughs> From like an hour ago. I'm like, this is perfect. This is like our intro right here. 
Yeah, that's uh, what do you actually do? That's that's from uh, that's from today. Yeah. Uh, so you're 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 on it, Andrew. Your your social feed is right up to date. There. Um, Ryan, I'm uh, I have a role of uh, a vice president of sales enablement, and so part of uh, what I do on a daily basis is try and keep the shiny objects away from our sales team and keep them focused on on what our main objectives are, uh, making sure that our sales messaging uh, is is coherent and on on message and and consistent. Which, as you guys know, can when we we have 200 some distributors around the country installing distributors that service to home builders and our product our product's a little different in that we you know if you look at plumbing sometimes you have a manufacturer going to a wholesaler who then has a plumber and then you've got the builder out at the end of that channel ours is a one step shorter than that and that's that our distributors who we sell to are installing trade contractors to the builder so our product gets installed by the same people we sell directly to and so we're not often we're not able to sell directly or message directly to the builder we have to sell through distribution and hope that their messaging is on in line with what our messaging is. So that's what I spend a lot of my uh, waking hours on is making sure that our messaging is consistent out to the market. Sounds like a difficult task with all the layers that you're working through. Uh, it, it can be. You know, I, I've, I've been at this uh, a lot of years. And the only thing that I will tell you is that change is not only a constant, but in the last few years, it has become blindingly fast. And I don't know if that's a combination that change is actually accelerating and I'm getting older or maybe it's both, but we are finding ourselves moving, uh, having to move from from helping sellers sell to helping buyers buy, and that's a big. That's going to be a big focus for us in the in the coming year. And it's um, you know mm. it, it's no it's it's not, not a surprise to anyone listening to this about you know the transparency that the internet has brought to commerce, no matter what business you want to be in. Mm-hmm. And I've always said, if you've got the best service, the best product, if you really do have the best solution in your market, transparency is your friend. It's a good thing for you. And then in this case, an educated home buyer is the friend if the builder does have the best solution. And so some people shy away from the transparency, but I think uh, I think sunlight is the ultimate antiseptic. So it's it's good for us. I, I love the way you said that. I think Amazon is kind of training us as far as like e-commerce online, like the reviews are there. Yet the reviews weren't there on Amazon of the product. Like I don't think Amazon would be where it is today, but because they have the reviews compared to all the other mm-hmm. websites, they're just, you know, they're, they're taking over mm-hmm. everything. Um, I think Prime and all the shipping is actually secondary to that as far as keep helping people make a choice on like, oh, I need this tripod for say my phone or whatever product it is. You just type it in camera, iPhone, tripod, blah, 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 and five minutes later, you have your you have your choice right there because it's all transparent on what is good and what is not good about sure. the product. And, and and often you will actually type in uh, camera tripod reviews. Right? You'll go to reviews first before you try and find a, a, a source or a vendor. And so I think it's not a stretch to to say once once a home buyer goes, well, this is kind of the school district we want. This is sort of the budget we can be in now in this market, in this neighborhood, in this area. What are the home builder reviews for this area and you know that that's where they start but that's really hard when transparency is so important but not everyone in the entire chain of value creation or the customer journey wants to be transparent especially when you're talking about 
you know, Tim, that, that as a, as a fireplace manufacturer, you want to be as transparent as possible and help buyers buy, which I think is the most simple way of putting the shift that's happened of, of from sellers sell to buyers buy, but not every home builder wants to be completely transparent. And they've got lots of concerns about that. And I was talking with a major uh, company that works up with reviews and ratings and um, talking about home builders in general and just that idea that, well, why would a home builder not want their reviews? Well, because something will always go wrong. Okay, well, but then if it goes wrong, then they deserve to get a bad review. Well, maybe, maybe it's perception, but they, they still deserve it. And I'm like, you're right. It's just home builders tend to shy away from anything that's, I mean, sometimes they don't even want to show pricing on their website, let alone the materials and the products that go <laughs> into the home. And then they worry about people comparing retail price and, and wholesale price and, and all of those pieces. So it definitely can get what, what you're talking about being driven to do, Tim, is not easy. Right. And, and you know, if you if you think about what, what home builders do, I think it was Scott Saddam of True North who a few years ago, I heard him say, you know, we why is it that you can buy a $40,000 automobile and everything on it is perfect and you buy a $400,000 home and you've got four pages of punch list items, you know, after you move in. And <laughs> Um, but, sure. but the reality is, and this is why, you know, I got kind of a soft spot in my heart for home builders. You know, they're, they're the kind of the last of the cowboys out there because they're, they're each of the, each of their yeah. lots is a manufacturing site, right? If you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. And probably 90% of the people that are getting that home built are not under the direct control of that builder. They're trade contractors. And so there's, um, you know, when you look right. at all of the moving parts and pieces and, and uh, the weather impacts and, uh, you know, there, there's going to be stuff and then you then you lay that you layer that against the fact that this is the highest probably the, the single largest investment that a consumer will ever make and it's an emotional decision for them um, that sort of sets you, you set yourself up to a lot of angst and emotion showing up on your on your review page online and that 90% that you're not controlling the gentleman that I was interacting with was a millennial and I am too so I don't mean that direct, but it was just to him it was well, that's easy then. The home builder should just hold that manufacturer, the, the, those 90% accountable for what is going on. And I said, well, that's not quite so simple because we have a labor shortage. Yeah. So if you hold that flooring contractor accountable, they might just say, you know what? I'm not going to do your floors anymore. I'm going to go to this other guy who's already willing to pay me more. And then suddenly yeah. you're behind schedule on the homeowner. So there is no... Even though it is simple in terms of its its manufacturing and it is components being put together and that seems so comparable to so many mm-hmm. things, there's just so many facets because it's so big and affects so many people. I mean, that's why it's such a big, important part of the economy. And I don't want to go too far down that that path because now we're we're trying to save the the world's all the world's problems, but it is yeah. This is, this will turn into a two know, hour podcast if t- we if we keep plowing that field for sure. <laughs> Well, I'll help. I'll help us change directions because yeah, let's let's focus on fireplaces because I'm in Florida and it's cold today. And now I'm wishing that the home that we'll be building had a fireplace. So maybe you can convince me why are fireplaces so important? Couple things. One and 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 one is has is old as time, and one is a little bit more recent. And the one that's old as time is that ever since man could control fire, that we've used fire for security. Um, if you uh, Andrew, if you go leave your 
home and go into uh, the local sh- coffee shop, Starbucks, whatever it is, and you do it in Florida in July and it's 98 degrees outside. If it's the middle of the afternoon and there's two people sitting in that Starbucks and the fireplace isn't even on, I bet you, I bet you that a cup of coffee in that place that they'll be sitting by that fire where the, where that hearth is. We're attracted. It's just it's just part of our DNA. We are attracted towards the security and the comfort that comes from from what a hearth represents. And it's just it's been generations and generations of, of that. And, you know, I kiddingly say when I meet people for the first time and I get the what do you do for a living? I say I'm in the romance and entertainment business. And then that gets them interested, of course, because they think they're going, you know, they think I got a phone full of videos. But but then when I'd say, well, well, they go, well, what's that mean? And I say, well, I sell fireplaces. And then I get the eye roll. Oh, well, that. And then if I wait about 30 seconds, you know, nine times out of 10, I'll get a story from them. And that story has to do with people they love, their family and their friends around a fire, whether that was going to their grandpa's cabin in the summer, whether it was a bonfire out back after Friday football games, whether it's just, you know, a Sunday, just kind of disconnecting from everything and just putting their feet up in front of their fireplace in their house. So that's that's the attraction of why fire has always been, uh, the hearth has always been the focal point of the home. Uh, what I think is is getting to be more recent. And I, I, I'm starting to see a lot of it in the last few months. And it's this whole, uh, there's a, a, a sociologist named Sherry Turkle, and she coined the term alone together. And what she means by that is that sometimes families are in the home, but they're not together. They're all on their separate little glass device, right? The kids are gaming somewhere. Uh, mom's on her iPad, dad's on his PC, and we're in the house. Recording a podcast. Yeah, or recording a podcast. That's right. Yeah. Or listening to podcasts, um, and we're we're alone together, and so and I think you see that right. If you look at you know very seldom when I walk a new model center anymore, do I see that big home theater set up anymore, right? And I, I think that that builders are starting to understand that the family doesn't come together as much as they used to, and say, hey, let's put some popcorn in the microwave, and let's all pull up, you know, and, and pull up the blankets and watch a movie together. Everybody's kind of mm-hmm. got their own content stream that they're that they're personally interested in, and what I think we're starting to see is a little bit of backlash on that. Um, you know, there's there, there's a lot of data that I'm just reading in the last few months that what's been clinically diagnosed as depression is a wrong diagnosis. It's actually loneliness. And so I think you're going to see a shift in the mentality of people wanting their homes as not just a, a sense of security and a sense of status, which is, you know, the two reasons why, why homeowners buy homes. Uh, but I think you're going to try and see ways that they can be together at home because we're going to start realizing, hey, I, I'm living in a house full of strangers here and we need to fix that. And the heart is a perfect place to do that. So so long answer to your question there, Andrew, but that's I think we've got history that, that says why hearth is important. And I think we've got recent trends that say why it's important. Yeah, that is a uh, beautiful answer. I love it. We've got some financial reasons too, right, Tim? It's not just that we're drawn to them and, and what they provide and represent, but there's also some financial implications to what consumers really do want. Yeah, and recently. for sure. And, uh, you know, as, as I was giving that, that answer about how important fireplaces are, uh, I did that in full awareness that the Census Bureau, who keeps track of these things, that tracks the incidence rate, which is what percent of new single family homes that got built in this country have a fireplace. And it's dropped the last few years. And last year, from 2016 to 2017, it dropped from 48% to 45%. So less than half of the single 
single-family homes built mm. get a fireplace. And, you know, Andrew, you would say, well, in Florida, you know, I kind of see that because, you know, it's one out of 10 down here. But up here in the bold north in Minnesota, where I live, uh, you know, we, we don't see that because every house has a fireplace. Many of them have to. Um, yeah. But when when you make your, your daily bread, as we do, through um, selling, uh, selling, putting fire in a house on purpose, uh, and that starts dropping, that incidence rate starts dropping, you go, hey, what giveth here? So uh, this is what I was talking to Kevin about uh, a few weeks ago is that we um, we said, why, why is that? Is it because homeowners no longer value a fireplace because new homes are so efficient and they just don't think they need the heat from it? Or is it that builders are under stress? You know, we, we, we talked about the three L's of land, labor and lumber, uh, you know, of kind of stressing builders out. And then we've added a fourth L to that now with lending, which is with interest rates, we're, you know, at the entry level of the housing market, some of the buyers are getting squeezed out. And we said, are builders just, you know, are they just trying to to streamline their production and their plan so much that anything optional they can take out, they're taking out? Because right now it's who's first to market, right? Who's Who can get my home, my spec home done first? Because if I can beat the builder across the street and I can turn the keys over two weeks before they are, before they do, I win because the builders are, or the buyers are lined up, right? And <clears throat> so we said, what is that? Why, why, why is fireplace incidence rate dropping? So we, we commissioned a little over a year ago, we commissioned um, a survey, uh, home buyers. Uh, the quant part of it is we talked about 2,000 uh, home buyers who either had just completed the new home buying process or they were still in the middle of it. And so we asked them, why? Why are you building a new home? And Andrew, you could probably answer this, right? But it was it was all the it was all the aspirational things you would expect to hear. It's a sense of winning. It's my dream, sure. right? It's security for family. It's a place of peace and refuge. All these aspirational answers came out. What would your answer be, Andrew? Why are you building a new home? Ooh, that's a that's a deep one. Um, so us we down here. Prices are, I think, kind of inflated. Um, so for a four bedroom, three bath, two bath with an office that is in the perfect location, it'd be like five to six hundred. Mm-hmm. So price point. I go a little bit further and it, I could build a brand new home for less than that. So that was the first draw. Like we were kind of making this choice of do we get the old home that's 50 years old and the perfect 10 out of 10 location or do we get like a seven out of 10 location? But then the home is brand new, perfect, much more efficient as modern. Yeah, mod- not eight foot ceilings and 2,500 feet with two additions to make it as such but it's you know 3000 feet yeah. in the beginning 10 foot ceilings yeah. all, all brand new Much all better. brand new stuff um, no no uh, no toenails all in brand the carpet, new. as my friend Kevin advertise no toenails power bill won't be 400 right. bucks a month so craziness. um you know you you gave me a uh, you, you know you gave me a financial justification of why you're doing it which makes me feel sorry for your wife a little bit because <laughs> most of these decisions, <laughs> i know right you know, I, 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 it's i thought you would go to the, the emotional aspect of hey it's it's my sense of providing security for my family and you know the fact that we've made it and then we're actually there that's the answers we got touching on that side we will like we're like we're going to be the people that host Christmas now, like after it's built, Thanksgiving, like we're like, we'll have the largest home, the best floor plan, the best parking, like not that we're like in the city or anything, but you know, when it's built out, like it's just, is a little more difficult for like, let's have 10 cars in our driveway. Well, nothing happened. Um, So all those things. You're you're, you're, you're on it. It's that vision, right? That that picture you painted in your head of we're going to host Christmas, right? And, And that's it. You're on it. It's an emotional decision that consumers make and then they justify their decision financially after the Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. 
And so, so when we asked, when we, in our survey, we asked these 2000 buyers, why'd you do it? It was all the aspirational stuff. And then we said, okay, how was the process? And man, did things change there. I bet. Said, oh, it was, <laughs> it was stressful. I bet. We had too many decisions. It was too fast. We felt overwhelmed. We felt confused. And it was, you know, all of the, the, the reality of what a, what a builder has to do is if it's not a spec home, if it's, you know, if they have a client from the beginning of the contract and now you've got the, whether you're taking them through your model or whether you have a design center in your, in your business, you're, you're running them through the gauntlet and, and they have to make all these decisions. And so the thing about the fireplace is, as we said, it's a focal point of the home. And, and we ask these, these consumers, how important is a fireplace? And seven out of 10 said it's essential. They said it's something we want absolutely one in our home. And yet only <laughs> four out of 10 are getting it. So it's that delta. It's that gap between the four out of 10 that get it and the seven out of 10 that say it's essential. That's a big difference. And so if, you know, Andrew, you're, you're, you could have been in our survey if we would have, if we would have found you. So if, if I gave you those stats that, that seven out of 10 buyers in our survey said that a fireplace was essential to the design of their home and yet only four out of 10 get them, why do you think that gap exists there? Um, so I might be biased just based on my experience, but I, I will leave Florida out of it. Try to leave, leave that out of like the new. Sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm going to maybe blame the builders. Like it's maybe only offered in certain floor plans that might be the largest. So maybe not even the most popular floor plans. Maybe it's an option and they get to the design studio and it's like, oh, we could spend, say, 3500 I don't know, just making up a number to the fireplace mm-hmm. and the more formal living room. Or we could spend that 3500 on cabinets, countertop, other things where that that's a more immediate like, oh, well, we better do that. Um, and then I guess like, maybe that changed now. Maybe if they're already squeezed on their their budget, they're just trying to keep it lower anyways. I'm hoping one of those could be could be right. Yeah, yeah, you're actually it's a, it's it's a I can tell you're a student of the of the game here because you're you're right on it on a couple of them. I I can't say I blame the builder because the builders are my customers and some of them may listen to this and go I don't want them to say what well, fireplace. Um, blame is a strong word. You know, uh, the yeah, way they make it's, choices, it's influences their the buyer's decision making. They're just missing opportunity. Missing opportunity. They yeah. think they're simplifying, but you can. You can oversimplify and overcomplify. I just made that up. I like complify. anything yeah. if you want to. Yeah, and it's and and I think we I think we're back where we started. Right, it's this transparency issue because we used to, as manufacturers, and I know we're not alone in this. The flooring people do it. Uh, you know, the countertop people do it. We we have incentives to builders to put upgrades in the model homes because you know it was the old you know if you build it they'll come if they see it they'll buy it. Um, and so we were very successful in getting upgrade fireplaces put in model homes. But then when we started looking at the data, the the, 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 the sell-through wasn't happening. And we thought, okay, so that's our fault because we've not educated the builder's sales team on how to talk about fireplaces. And you know, I'm a recovering salesperson myself. So I know that if I don't know some about something, I'm not going to bring it up in front of a customer and risk looking stupid. And and my, you know, my heart goes out to new home sales consultants, because if you think about everything in a home, I mean, leave all the contractual legal stuff aside. Just the physical home itself, they got to know a little bit about everything, right? It's a it's a tough job. Yeah. It's a hard job. You might get a weirdo and in so, there asking, like, "Hey, what's the insulation? This is this like really detailed questions." 
Yeah, yeah. 5% of your customers are going to be engineers. And, you know, that's 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 its own little special hell when you have to sell to an engineer. <laughs> that's a different kind of story. Um, but so we said, okay, we're, we're going to make a, a strong effort to to train the builder sales team in a way that's useful for them. And, you know, I think many times manufacturers make the mistake of the builder gives them the golden ticket that says, yes, I will allow you the 15 or 20 minutes at the end of our sales meeting to come in and talk to our sales staff about your product. And then manufacturers totally miss the mark. They come in and just spew features of their product and stuff and they don't help that salesperson talk in a way that would connect with the buyer. And and they, they, they don't pay attention to their audience, That w- the audience being the, the builder sales team there. And they, they come in and they give this 15-minute presentation that's totally off the mark. And, you know, as a sales manager for a builder, if you have that happen one or two times, you're going to go, yeah, you know what, I don't, this manufacturing thing coming into our sales meeting, I, I'm, I'm not into that anymore. And so we, so we tried to really Really put a focused education program together with the, the home, with the builders sales staff in mind. So we said that'll fix it. And so we started keep tracking tracking the data and still no sell through. And we go, man, what's going on? And so then we started looking at how did the builders price that upgrade? And now we're back to transparency because consumers today are carrying around in their purse or their hip pocket the entire universe under a piece of glass. And they know consumers today are smart enough. They know what 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 fireplaces, any product actually, what products could go into a new home and what should it cost? Because most manufacturers publish MSRP online, right? You can see at retail what something should cost. And so if if a fireplace, for example, should aftermarket retail price installed in a home is $6,000 and the builder has an upgrade price of $12,000 on that fireplace, buyers are smarter than that. There's too much transparency now. And so what we found is we had to go back and coach the builders on, hey, here's the aftermarket retail. If one of your buyers buy this home without the fireplace, if they go to a retail dealer and and say, what would it cost to add the fireplace to my home post-closing? Here's that number, labor, product, you know, materials, everything. Everything. And we think you should be kind of around there. You could maybe, you know, be 10% above that because people are going to pay for the convenience of having your product put in and putting it on your mortgage. And, you know, who wants to tear your house? Right. The mortgage. The mortgage one is is a valid sure, piece, but sure. that's really hard to convey and help. And you can't use that with everything mm-hmm. either. But it, it, that that one is on a bit on a really large item, something that works. But it sounds like Tim and I. This is a little surprising to me, but you're right. The transparency is out there that home buyers perceive things like a fireplace closer to the appliance uh, pricing model in terms of the transparency than they would. Um, crown molding just sure. because you when you look that up you're only looking at linear feed and I don't know how many that is mm-hmm. and complexity of profiles and all the rest whereas because the fireplace is a manufactured product with a skew it's easier to price mm-hmm. shop Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I think it is categories like, and what we say about our product is we're the only permanently install, installed appliance in the home because most of our fireplaces now are gas, um, and and it's it's a very it's it's a challenging retro to do post closing. It's much easier to do. And and the other difference about a fireplace is if you if you look at the the Marshall and Swift uh, form for appraisers, the Bible that, that that real estate appraisers use, there's a line item for fireplaces 
on the on the appraisal form because fireplaces do positively impact the appraisal value of a home. So if I'm a new home sales consultant working for a builder and I've got a consumer who's up in the air on should I go granite countertops or should I add the optional fireplace? I always coach the salespeople to say have them go with the fireplace because if they if they do want to sell this home in five or six years and upgrade and move up, the fireplace will help their appraisal value. The, the granite countertops not so much. And and a fireplace is much harder to do at post closing. Countertops, if you want to switch the countertops out a year or two down the road, you know, Home Depot can come in and do that in a half a day. So what I think is really amazing, and if you're a home builder or marketer listening right now and you if you made it this far in, one of the things I really hope you take away from this particular episode and and hearing Tim talk about the amount of work that goes into this. You know, again, you think about you might walk out on a job site and see a box that says, you know, uh, fireplace on it. And then the next time you come out or you go somewhere else and there's a fireplace installed and you, and you kind of think it, this is a commodity like anything else and how much work goes into it. You know, sure, it had to be designed, but now it's just stamped out repeatedly again and again and again. And it's just shipped out here for whatever that cost is that there's a lot of extra work if you have the right uh, partner in, in this process. Not every certainly not every fireplace company is as thoughtful about the uh, entertainment industry that they're in as the one that Tim works for. But if you can find the right partner, there's extra value that you can use from a storytelling standpoint, from a financial standpoint, uh, factual, right? And then there's all these extra tools that when we talk about, man, how, how, how come my home builder doesn't get all the credit we deserve for what it is we do? I remember, and I'm sure Marty used to say this to you as well, Tim, but Marty was the president at Heartland for the majority of the time that I was there. And he would always say, you know what, we, we build a Mercedes in terms of the quality materials and how we put our homes together in comparison to the competition here in town. But we get asked to price it like a Toyota. And so I want to just transition a little bit, Tim, in terms of for the, for the marketer who's listening, how do you how would you recommend someone reach out to a company like yours if, if they look at their list of materials and they're like, oh, man. Uh, we we have a a heatilator fireplace uh, in, included in our home or as an option, so I, I could connect with these guys. What? How does that relationship start? How does it work? Um, and what kind of value can the right manufacturer? supply besides just that 10 or 15 minutes at a sales meeting. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and and I, I'll go back to your example of, you know, here, here's a fireplace and is that a commodity or is it not? And uh, many of the builders we work with and we work with uh, the, the large nationals down to custom builders, we, we run the gauntlet. Um, and and so what they will try and, and many of the builders we work with build entry level, they build move up and they build luxury, right? And they'll have different communities for different different home products at different price points. And often, and and I'm uh, I'm not throwing purchasing people under the bus. They weren't abused as children. They're just you know they're fine folks. Uh, they're <laughs> fine people. They're just paid. They're pay, they're doing what they're paid to do, and what they're paid to do. Yeah, what they've been what they've been asked yeah, to do is is basically hammer down, bring bring this bring this plan in at the lowest price you can without sacrificing quality or, or home buyer satisfaction. Right? You got to they got to run that line. And so what they will do in 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 the uh, guise of efficiency is say, well, here's our entry, here's our 36 inch fireplace. And that's going to be our fireplace in our entry homes and 
car move up in our luxury homes because a fireplace is a fireplace. And in the entry, it may be an option. And in the move up, it may be uh, one is standard and the second is option. And in the luxury home, two fireplaces are standard. Well, they think they're doing well. And we as the manufacturer have not had a chance to get in and talk to them yet. So we're doing a disservice by not taking the time to educate them. But even if you go, you know, good, better, best, and and if, if, if you t- take a fireplace offering that's good, better, best, and you lay it across a builder that's building entry, move up in luxury, those fireplaces are going to be mismatched for those buyers. You, you really need to do entry, move up in luxury by price point, by an entry level buyer, by a move up buyer, and by a luxury buyer. And and then you go, holy buckets, that, that's really complicated. Well, the other thing we, we as manufacturers have to do is we have to talk, we have to be able to, to get around purchasing. I, I say that gently, getting around purchasing, talk to yeah. the sales and marketing people because the sales and marketing people are the ones that are going belly to belly with the consumers who come through the model homes, right? Mm-hmm. And and I I constantly talk to sales reps and models who say, ah, those modern fireplaces. And, and by the way, I just saw this this morning, uh, contemporary fireplaces as a search on Pinterest is up 763%. So if you... Oh, wow. That's <laughs> doing the, it right now. That's the linear, right? That's the linear look. Mm-hmm. And so the sales and marketing people know that that's the look that that's what you want. want. But if you go talk to purchasing, purchasing goes, oh man, that's going to be a different framing dimension. And that's going to drive my construction people crazy. And they're going to be in my office and this is going to be awful. And so what's incumbent upon us as a manufacturer is how can we make it easy for the builder to offer the right options by buyer type and at the same time, not cause brain damage on their construction and design side, right? And so we do things like working with builders on, well, let's frame to this common size. Uh, for your fireplace. And regardless of what your buyer picks, we'll, if we need to, we'll, when we come install it, we'll frame down to that if we need to. We try and do everything we can. And, and, you know, we, we've invested a lot in, in, uh, RCAT files and BIM objects so that they can just lay the, the, the drawings right into their plans without having to put a lot of architectural drafting time into it. And then we, uh, also will take and right, right now, Kevin, we're on a, uh, a program where we, we will custom design, and this is going to sound old school. We custom design high quality print literature down to the community level for the builders that let us work with them to this step. And so when we come in and do the sales meeting with their sales team, they're leaving with literature that has been designed for their community. And we've simplified it to the point that we, we're asking their salespeople, look, you don't have to be a hearth expert. You don't have to know anything about a fireplace. All we're asking you to do is that if you're in a plan that offers a fireplace as an option, simply hand this piece of literature that only covers the three fireplaces that are offered in that home, or maybe it's just two fireplaces in the home, and it simplifies it for the home buyer. So now the buyer's not going, because the, the home buyer is a little schizophrenic, right? On the one hand, they say, I want to know everything out there that I could possibly put in my house. And on the other hand, they say, oh, all these decisions are so damn hard, right? And so, <laughs> yes. so how do you how do you balance both of those? And so what we found is that if you get the, here's our, here's our formula that we're on right now with some builders that we're working with, and it's really working out well. We find think we figured it out is getting the right product in the model, pricing it right, which means you're in the ballpark of aftermarket retail pricing, and then making it easy for the sales consultant to educate the home buyer with a little piece of custom literature. We, we've had that we've been running this play for about a year and we're, we're really having some good success with it. The, and it's not really a, it's not a, 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 a that much of a financial play for the builder necessarily because a, a fireplace, a builder spends about 1% of their cost of materials in the fireplace category. That's all. But it's a 
a huge focal point for the buyer. And what we what we're telling them is it's it's not just the money. I mean, you're, 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 yeah, you'll make some more profit on this, but it really our message is really around home buyer satisfaction. And I think a lot of people on your podcast are going to say, you know, if I if we surveyed them and said, do you think 2019 is going to be better or worse than 2018? I think some of them are going to say worse, right? There's we got headwinds. Coming. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's. Yeah, I that you're getting me worked up here, Tim, because that's when you say things like the fireplace could potentially be a big part of that final consideration of a variation of what Andrew already went through, which is I could get an existing home that has all these things that are are, are negative, but a great location. Like it, it is, it can be part of the entry fee. And, and that's where having worked for builders and you work with builders, everything has to be how, well, how much profit mm-hmm. am I making on that? And a lot of this comes back to, am I getting a sale or not on that? And and that doesn't mean that we want to build homes for practice either. We have to make money, but builders have to be really smart. Going back to what you said about where am I making that money? And what are the things that are providing enough value that just say new construction makes sense or this builder makes sense? Because a lot of almost all of the concept of why you're building a new house does not make sense. Like you said, you make the decision on a motion and justify by logic. But there's almost the only logic to new is I want new or I'm totally dissatisfied with old. When it comes to pure financials, you know, you might say that the home further out is a little bit less expensive and you're getting new, like Andrew says. But in Andrew's case, he doesn't have a long commute. A lot of times people are making that trade off of I'm going to lose I'm going to lose two hours or an hour and a half every day. And then what is that in terms of cost of time, cost of transportation? all those other things. And when you bottom line it, a new home almost never makes sense. And so I think you have to have enough of these points of of interest, of memory, of of satisfaction, I think is another great word that you use of just after you make that purchase and you sit down in your family room and the fire's on and the lights are down low and the kids are asleep and you're just enjoying everything about this home that you have, there's just something really important about that that concept that you just said of you can't make money everywhere. You've got to figure out the right things. And some of them are just table stakes to, to make a new home, a selection that someone wants to, to yeah. move forward. And, and I think, Kevin, you're, you're on right. it. And, and it's incumbent on us, at least in, in our product category, to, to put the right tools in the hands of that builder's sales staff so that they can paint that story. So when a buyer comes in and they talk about this plan has a standard fireplace, or at least has the option for a fireplace, to paint that picture of you're not looking at a new home home to be alone together, right? You're looking to be together together. And so this fireplace is on, just think about that on the evenings, you know, when you're, when you come home and you're relaxed and you flip the switch and that fire comes on to, because the, our, our story has to be told in that last three feet. It's, it's when that home buyer comes in. And so we're really focused now on, and I guess that was my, my point earlier about we we're moving, we focus so much on trying to make our distributors better salespeople. We were trying to push that rock up the hill. And we just said, look, this, 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 this hurts. We're going to stop doing this. And we've switched our, our point of view, our paradigm to how can we help buyers buy? And so how can we make it easy? How can we educate the home buyer and how can we make it easy for the home builder to, so that at the end, we all can, you know, it's not a zero sum game. Uh, we, we, we can all share a large, an extra large pizza and the home buyer is willing to fund that if we just give them the education. That's the other part that gets me worked up is you're making these high quality print brochures, which is it. 
it, you know, you said it might be old school, at least you're doing something. And again, you're providing value to the builder that they necessarily may not have even asked for. But what kills me is that obviously we would all love for that information to equally live, perhaps even in, in greater depth on the builder's mm-hmm. website. But the complexity of that is so much harder. Like when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, I think a lot of home builders wouldn't know where to put it on their website. They don't have a place for it to live. Their marketing or IT team doesn't even understand how to make that happen tactically. Like, well, our website is basically a static brochure. There is no interactivity to it. We couldn't have a rollover or show videos of each of those fireplaces in operation, or we don't have enough money dedicated in the budget to go help you help us with that content. And I just think it's it's crazy that so much of that information is still being asked to live on a piece of paper, which it has tremendous value at that exact point of purchase and that interaction with the salesperson. But you know, Andrew's had to go searching for this information all over the internet, sometimes on different home builder websites, sometimes on manufacturer sites, but just, I want to start having an idea of some of these things before I go make those final selections. And and I can't. We tried to, we tried to address that in this same program because on the back, if you flip that brochure over for every builder we're working with this level. uh, And by the way, none of this, none of what I described is any cost to the builder other than, you know, they may have some drafting time to draw in some new options and they have to give their sales team to us, their attention to their, their sales team to us through the training. But that's the only investment the builder has. And on the back, if you flip the brochure over, there's a, a URL for a, for a microsite that we build specifically for that that matches that brochure. So it doesn't just take them to that they built for the builder, guys. This is yeah. again, I'm just it makes yeah. me so it's, it's dang not it's excited. not taking them to like heatandglow.com our consumer site. If the consumer clicks on that URL, um, it takes them specifically just to this builder site with this builder's logo that we host, and it shows it shows burning videos because not you you can't show every fire place option in every model, but you can go see a one minute video of the fireplaces that are available for that model. And and we know that the brochure alone will work for some buyers. It won't work for all. And especially the millennial buyers, you know, everything is video content for them, right? Well, I'm talking to two of them. So you, you guys know, um, you, you pesky millennials, <laughs> you know, it's like, but you have to do that for them because, and, and that's why we're trying to help educate, right? Because they maybe don't see the value of it themselves, but also because Technically, and from a budget standpoint, there's so many other hurdles that they're they're not willing or able to tackle that problem themselves. And I'm not saying, obviously, Tim, you wouldn't say that that it's all their fault. Not it's not it's not it's not at all their fault. They're, they're busy building houses, right? And and not the just, marketers. They're not building the houses, Tim. Well, come on. <laughs> They're, 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 they, I, I know they're, I know they're busy because every time I try and meet with them, they say I'm busy. So I know they're busy. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. they're, they're busy designing oh. their billboards. So <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and that's, you know, it, it's, it, it's not the builder's fault. It's, it's us as manufacturers and, and we've got to think more outside in and, and we've got to stop focusing on ourselves and our trade partners, the distribution in the middle and start and stop even focusing on the builder and, and go one step farther out to how do buyers want to buy today? Mm-hmm. And how can we, how can we then, how can we connect the dots? How can we make that connective tissue easier for the builders who have chosen to trust us to put the fire in their houses? Yeah. 
Awesome. And if you're a marketer and again, you're getting inspired or excited like me and you want us to take action, Hearth and Home Technologies, which has lots of different brands, again, Heatilator, Heat and Glow, uh, Majestic. Um, but if, if you see Hearth and Home Technologies, you don't want to reach out and say, okay, how, how do we partner together? How do we do this better? Kohler is another brand that from personal experience has a similar approach and partnership that they make with builders. Um, Anderson windows, fantastic company in terms of interaction. That's similar. Uh, even Dow, uh, Dow Corning or Dow chemical, um, had, had a pretty progressive considering it's simply insulation. And even I'm commoditizing some things that are, are not necessarily commodities, but, but Dow, Dow had a good approach to it. Um, trying to think of James Hardy siding. Um, they actually, went out and took photos of our homes, created a, a similar type of microsite experience. They had digital picture frames that we could place in that would rotate different profiles and types of product that we put on our homes from James Hardy, all at no expense to us. So they're, they're certainly not ubiquitous, but there are definitely uh, manufacturers and, and suppliers in diverse categories that will partner with you like this and, and help you tell your home story in a better way. Yep. Yep. And my guess is, Kevin, they brought that to you. You didn't ask them to do it. Well, no, I think just like Amazon, we say Amazon and, and all companies train our consumers how to how to want to buy and how to shop. I think you and uh, Wally Schwartz at, at Kohler, you both started that. And then we would go to our other partners and start saying, hey, this other... And it wasn't just a financial thing. It, again, it was data. It was insight that they had on what people found valuable. But we said, hey, we're getting this from, from these guys. Do you have anything that you can do to help? And I think the other part is uh, in asking that conversation after being trained by you, it was also understanding that as a builder, we need to be able to prove value to them to make them want to help us. So we would spend time. You know, I remember pulling, pulling Tim out from Minnesota and you were coming willingly, but we'd sit in the conference room and say, Hey, this is what our approach is on marketing. And here's why, how we're trying to be progressive. We want to put more online. We want to let people view options. And then you guys getting excited and saying, here's how we could help. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of, there's lots of parts to that relationship, but you, you have to ask and you have to um, be ready to participate. It's not, it's not just what can you do for me. Right, right. You guys might have the, I swear we talked about this sometime, as far as like people researching more, um, and this it's a general concept, but it also applies to the design and options on the home. And let's say the fireplace is an option, having more information available ahead of time for that person to be obsessed with and research more, more the more likely they are to spend more on options and, and do more of those options. Am I making sense? Did I, was there, I feel like there's a stat somewhere out there where like for the people that might be opposed to putting more on their web site because things can change. We might not offer that exact thing anymore. So we're just not going to do it. Whereas opposite, like the more you put out there on the website, say in regards to design options and upgrades, fireplaces, the more likely they are to actually make those purchasing decisions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The more that you put out there and the more that they research, they there is definitely stats out there where you are going to potentially spend significantly amounts more than you previously thought on an item because now you care about a feature you didn't know existed yep. before. And that scares some builders, especially as interest rates rise up or they're already hitting issues with people, you know, maxing out what they qualify for. But that goes back to the concept that Tim was talking about of knowing what the consumer really wants and what is table stakes to get a sale and what isn't. And that's builders have to be knowledgeable enough about who they are and why they're different and what audience they're trying to serve to be able to curate 
the right products and selections because we're not just going to pull the whole Amazon catalog out either. Okay. Up there. You could go to that extreme and say, well, if we just give everyone everything and every choice, then that will make the consumer happy. No, it's saying a very specific message of this is the kind of home builder we are and the product we offer. And these are the products that align with that, not just because we say so, but because we actually understand you and know what you want. Then you have to have the conviction to go deep and be transparent on those items. But that's how you protect yourself. Because if you know that you're going to be price sensitive, then you may only choose to do that in two or three areas of the home that you know is going to be important and that you will do well versus here's the 20 different pieces. Yeah. And, and I think you, you can get to a point, too, where more is not better. More is just more. And, and, and you can Absolutely. get selection fatigue. And, and that's kind of what we heard in our survey of home buyers is, you know, we had to make all these decisions. And, and I get that, you know, if, if I'm a production builder, I can't let a home buyer make three and four visits to the design center and just kind of take a month to do this. I got a production schedule I got to hit. Um, and so you sort of have to drive them through that that gauntlet. Right. But uh, I am seeing some builders do some yep. pretty smart things. Things on uh, via their website uh, of letting customers sort of pre-educate and pre-select some things before they come in for their with the yeah. design center counselor. So I think I think there's a blend there that, that will help, and I think there's a lot of technology and tools that are coming online that will help us with that. We've we've taken enough of Tim's valuable time. Thanks again so much for being with us, Tim. You like to share your wisdom to with the world on Twitter, so we'll make sure we link to that profile below and and LinkedIn. But what's next for Mr. Ref Lake, what's what's on the horizon for? Do you think 2019 will be a good year? Uh, I, I think it's going to be a good year. I think it's going to be a different year. And, you know, that's when I was asking earlier, do, you know, most builders would say it's a little bit, be a little bit more challenging. And I think that's why what we just talked about here is even more important because it's, it, it now it's in a market that slows down a little bit. It's not going to be the builder who can get their spec home built the fastest that wins. It's going to be the one that, that differentiates their design because now buyers, they can, they can actually take a breath and say, I don't have to sign that contract today because that lot and that plan will still be there tomorrow. I'm going to look around a little bit. And so we think actually it's going to be a better, more fertile environment for us to work directly with the builders to, to say, let us help help differentiate your, your design and help your salespeople tell a little different story to, to help you win that home buyer satisfaction battle. Beautiful. I think you're right. And, and a lot of builders have even stopped, uh, they've stopped interacting with customers. I know several builders around the country who have basically said, we only want to sell spec homes until they reach a certain point where we no longer have to deal with the problem points of the customer. And when that when that switches to your point, Tim, if they don't remember how to work with customers, it's going to be a painful road when that when that switches back over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, the name of the game for the last 18 to 24 months has been efficiency, right? Who can build the fastest? And at some point, efficiency is not going to be all you all you need to win the game. You're going to have to be effective as well. And so effectiveness will, will start pulling marketing and sales back into the table, I think. And to bring it all back around, how, what's one great way that you can be be effective, be transparent, right? Yep, indeed. So guys, it's been uh, it's been a blast being with you and I wish uh, wish you both and your listeners some some nice quiet evenings around your fireplace as you are <laughs> as you are together together with your families, not alone together, but as you're together together around the hearth of your home. So awesome. Yeah. Thanks again, Tim. Yep. 